Hey, this is Unsolicited with Alicia Antiveros. Right, take you with me on my film and TV adventures. And I have so much to tell you on this episode. I'm going to let you hear some advice that I got. I'll bring you into a snippet of a table read. And don't tell anybody else this, but I'm even going to cry. But let's just keep that between you and me. I have not published an episode since May 25th. Hello. So I'm back. I just want to explain what I've been doing, why I've been gone so long, and whatever the hell happened to the Lit Up competition, which is the last thing that I told you about way back in May. But before I do that, I just want to do a little recap on how Unsolicited works. I have an Instagram companion account to my podcast. So whatever I talk about here, I'll often share stories that I'll then save in a highlight reel with this episode number attached to it. So this is episode four. If you miss the highlights when I put them up, which usually I'll publish the podcast and I'll put the highlights up the day that it launches. So it's just in tandem. If you miss it, always just go down to the highlight reel, click the episode that you're listening to, and you can see the visuals that tie along to what you're listening about. You can also leave comments there. You can you know, ask me questions if you'd like. On Instagram, I keep it short and sweet. Sometimes I'll post videos. I'll do an um, IGTV or whatnot. I've got a lot of stuff um, that just kind of evolves in the moments where I can really connect with you as I'm going through these things. And then the podcasts end up being retrospective, looking back, analyzing, understanding, and learning from what it was that I was doing. So that is how I have developed Unsolicited and hope that it works for you. All right, so let's go back and talk about what the hell happened. The last time I talked to you, I was getting into the lit up competition. So let's just recap that a little bit. Reese Witherspoon launched a, a literary competition called the Lit Up Competition, and she was calling all underrepresented women to submit their uh, stories for a competition. Um, the story had to feature a female protagonist, had to be written by a woman, an underrepresented woman of color. I heard about the competition and I was so excited to participate, mainly because I had a story that I had not been working on that I knew would be perfect for the competition, but I had nothing. I had nothing on the page and I decided to dive in and do it. So if you listen and go back to episode three, what you're going to hear is me in the moment while I was participating in the competition, while I was writing the story and the fear factor of what it was like to take on writing a book, a manuscript in 30 days. It's the first creative challenge in a decade I've taken on that I can say did scare me. So I talk about what that means, why it scared me. And so you can listen to all of that there. If you've already listened to it, now is a good time for me to tell you what happened. So shortly after I published that podcast episode, they extended the deadline, which was a huge windfall for me because it meant I had like 12 more days to work on it, which was fabulous because I actually lost 12 days on the front end. I actually didn't have 30 days. I had like, oh, I don't know, 20 days um, to write because I didn't start writing. They announced it May 1st. It was supposed to be due by May 31st. And I didn't start until around May 11th after I launched this podcast on Mother's Day. So I was already going into it with a huge deficit in terms of time to be able to complete uh, the challenge. And I knew a lot of writers were going to come into this challenge submitting manuscripts that they've been working on for years. And the idea of me being able to compete with people who had been honing their craft, who had been writing, and who had who had now had the opportunity to polish and submit something really well-developed 
was was probably the most terrifying thing because who am I to think that I can come up with something that is great enough, good enough, worthy enough to be in competition with that? That was a scary proposition. But I believed in myself. I bet on myself. And it was Jasmine who jumped on Reese Witherspoon's IG Live to talk about the competition. It was encouraging people to enter, even if even if they had manuscripts that were not perfect. She said, don't worry. Believe that you are worth it. Believe in yourself and your story. And so I did that. I finished it and I turned it in. And let me tell you what, it was not without typos. I did as much as I could to clean it up, you know, of course. But there just wasn't enough time to get it truly typo free. There just wasn't. I I wasn't gonna be able to eradicate typos from 40,000 words um, because I really only had a a few hours to go over it once I had compiled it. And there were so just so many things. I was more concerned with filling and massaging some plot points and some of the dynamics between the characters than I was with fixing every typo. So yeah, there are some embarrassing typos in there. I found them. I cringed and I thought, oh my god, I hope someone doesn't just you know, trash this manuscript when they read it because there are some stupid typos. What I do hope is that from the submission, I had to do a series of essays with it that, and I did mention that I took on the challenge in in the month after it was announced, that they're able to see just the ambition and the passion around the project being something that is worthy and valuable and that the judges can overlook some of the typos, hopefully. But you know, I, I I come from Northwestern University where we have the Medill F. If you, when I was studying journalism, if you misspelled a single word in any sort of way, you got an F on your on your work. It didn't matter how good it was. So I think that's just instilled in me that typos are just, and they are, they're bad, they're stupid, and they make you look unprofessional. So I just like have that hanging over me and I just feel so oh, guilty about it, but I just got to release it, let it go. It's out there. It's done. Um, But what I can tell you about it, oh my God, is how much I learned to be in the moment, to be free, to release my mind of worry, and to stop thinking about things and just do them. I just kind of went with my impulses. Really, there was not a lot of time to edit. So whatever impulse I had, if I thought that it was good enough, I just went with it. And I just let the story evolve as much as it could organically, the way that I felt it was asking me to move it forward. But before I could do any of that work, I had to first decide to start. This is the part where I start to get a little bit vulnerable with you. And I want to share a clip I recorded when I first found out about the competition. And I cried. What you're about to listen to are my first impressions just seconds after I saw the press release for the competition. I just plugged my mic in and I started talking about the opportunity, essentially. So it's very raw. It's very unprocessed. And I know it can be weird to hear someone cry. Believe me, it was really weird for me to have to go back and listen to myself. And normally someone would go through this process alone. Like it's something that would just be an internal thought process. And maybe you would shed some tears privately. But I'm going to share my tears with you because I want to show you that it's okay to get emotional about things that are important to you. Um, It's also okay to share that side of yourself. And when I started this podcast, I really wanted to bring you in on those emotional moments because I'm sure you have them too. And I wanted to um, understand them better by kind of just witnessing it myself. And in the process of going back through the audio, I actually learned a lot about how I process 
this information. And I think you're going to see what I'm talking about. But to give you just a little bit more context, coming into this moment, I had just moved to Arizona temporarily on the way to LA, just visiting family here. And I hadn't, you know, seen family in in a long, long, long time. So there was some uh, emotion behind that. I just had quit my job at the end of 2019 to pursue the story that I had still not written. I think I was processing some shame, guilt, and probably regret that I had not started the story years ago. Because this is actually the story that propelled me to want to move to LA in the first place. I think it's just like feeling a sense of loss of opportunity and just hating yourself for it. I'm sure you can relate to that. What was interesting going back and listening to this clip, and let me know if you can also hear this, is that I'll first start explaining what was happening. And then I start getting emotional. And that's where the tears come in. But then it transitions into a sort of commitment phase, like a self-pep talk. So here we go. I'm going to play it for you. It's going to be awkward, like I said, but try to get through it so you can see what I'm talking about. And I'll meet you on the other side. So here I am thinking, oh my God, this is such a great opportunity. I really have to do this. And trying to figure out how in the hell to do this with everything else that I have going on. I'm supposed to be launching this podcast. Right now, I'm saying these words on April 29th and um, trying to figure out how I'm going to do this in exactly one month from tomorrow when I'm supposed to be launching this podcast in a week, submitting my screenplay, my first screenplay that I've ever written. I have a whole schedule of contests and um, submissions to worry about that. I wanted to think about applying to a Sundance Fellowship. And now Reese Witherspoon has to simultaneously ruin my day and make my day by dropping this contest. Lit up by Reese's Book Club Contest. Lord, help me. Uh, I don't know what to do. I'm scared as hell to even attempt it because I don't want to fail. I would have to have calculated the words. I'd have to write at least 1,500 words every single day. Maybe I could dedicate a maximum of five hours a day to this project. That's 250 to 300 words an hour. That might sound easy if you can type 50, 60 words a minute, but that's just typing. There's all of the thought into the plot, the characterization, the dialogue, the setting, the tone, the theme. There's so much thought that goes behind every letter that's typed and so much rethinking and rewriting and second guessing yourself and the fear that gets in the way. And all of that makes 300 words an hour for five hours a day, extremely difficult, Uh, which is why I'm so stressed out by the possibility of doing this and I really don't know what to do and my sister is texting me and I need to put my phone on silent and what does she want oh I don't know she's trying to text me about some stuff um so I don't know I, I don't know what to do I mean I want to do it I know I'm going to need support from the universe from friends and family It's just hard. And and just the thought of spitting out 1,500 words a day and not being able to sit down and refine them and make it my best work is also scary. Um, 
can I do more than 1500 words a day and then have a few days to go over things and refine? I mean, the thing is like rewriting is not easy. Writing is not, not th- none of it is easy. None of it's easy. And, you know, I love to allow my ambition to kind of like exceed what seems like my abilities sometimes. But isn't that where the magic happens? When you really challenge yourself beyond what you think is possible to see what happens. And I've been thinking about like, what are the upsides? What are the downsides? Let's say that I try to do this and I only end up getting 30,000 words. I can't submit it. But now I've got 30,000 words. And they might be bad words and they might be shitty words. But there are 30,000 words I didn't have before. So that's encouraging to me. And I'm getting emotional, which is really <clears throat> catching me by surprise. But um, what I do know is that betting on myself is never a bad bet. Believing in myself is never a wrong move. And so I think I'm going to attempt it and try it and lay out a plan and see how far I get. But it's really scary because, you know, there's so much I haven't figured out about the story and so much of it that I've sat with for so long. This opportunity is exciting to me because I know it's going to force myself not to procrastinate anymore. So I just need to do it. And it means I'm going to have to sacrifice stuff that I've been spending my time on lately. Like sissy school, I've been doing a little at-home preschool for my nephew because we, you know, we're just moved to Arizona and... I've never been able to spend time with family having lived out of the state for half my life or out of the Southwest for half my life. And it's been so nice to see him. I know I'm not going to be able to do that for May, which I know he'll be really disappointed about. But there's just so much going on. And just to pile another thing on top of it seems really overwhelming to me. And probably to some of you, like, ridiculous that I'd be crying about it. But... When something's been sitting, when a story has been sitting with you for so long and just kind of (sighs) waiting to get out, there's so many, there's so many reasons and ways that a writer can shove that back down and procrastinate and find something else to work on. I'm an impatient person in general, so I like to just, I like to make progress really quickly and I like to go, go, go. And Sometimes I'm only really able to do that if I'm working within my comfort zone because I know I won't fail because I know I can succeed and like, you know, get the satisfaction of having succeeded. And this, however, really scares me. Fail, failure scares me. Like writing and feeling like all of my words suck and that I'm a horrible writer every single day having to sit with that emotionally sucks. And the just the thought of having to do that is hard. Um... But, you know, I know that my voice matters and that's why I've wanted to 
shift my focus on my career to film and television. My ultimate goal with the book series that I am wanting to write is to adapt it into a limited series for the screen. Um, and I'm building this badass character, this woman warrior. And I think about all of the women, young women, who I hope can be encouraged and inspired by the character I want to create. And I'm so sure that that thought, the essence of that idea is what spurred Reese Witherspoon to create this contest to create Hello Sunshine, to champion women's voices and women on screen, because there are a lot of people who lose out when we don't hear from women, women's stories, when when not just women, all underrepresented groups, when they're missing, we all lose. And so I have to show up to be part of the solution. And that's what I've been trying to do for the past year, ever since I transitioned my career and have tried to focus on film and television projects. And so this is it. This is just like it. Like, what am I waiting for? Show up and get it. It's there. Show up and get it. I know I'm going to fail along the way in small ways and I need to just, I need to not let go of the end goal in addition to everything that's going on with the other screenplay, which is really was supposed to be the focus of my podcast was my screenplay. Now it's going to be my screenplay and this writing adventure. I don't know how the hell I'm going to balance both. I don't know that it's possible. I still don't know that it's possible, but what I do know is that I'm willing to find out. Let's do this. Let's do this. I'm going to do this. Oh my God, Reese Witherspoon. Why? Why? I have to get my second COVID shot today. I swear to God. If that COVID shot takes me out and I lose a few days, can't let it happen. Thanks for listening. Tears are good. I love them. And that's the sound of another package being delivered from Amazon because Eric ordered something that he didn't need. There you go. My internal thoughts made manifest just for you in a podcast. But, you know, I think this kind of self-talk, this kind of self-doubt is normal. And the process of going from, can I do this to, yes, I'm going to do this, I think was really clear in there. You know, Eric ended up coming downstairs moments after that doorbell rang at the end to retrieve his package. And I said to him, what if I told you I was going to write a book in a month? And he immediately rolled his eyes. I was like, oh my God, not again, Alicia on another crazy, unrealistic adventure. Um, And I laughed because I knew that's what he would do. And you know, on the way to the COVID shot, he was reminding me about the shorts that we were going to work on um, that I hadn't even started, you know, conceiving and writing those yet. The rewrites that I hadn't finished, the podcast, the and, 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 and all of the things. And I told him, look, I am going to do this. I've already decided it and I just need you to support me. And from there, I just told him how to support me and he did. And he just let me do my thing. He fed me food when I had no time to do anything but literally like go to the bathroom 
And he just let me be selfish for those 30 to 34 days. And he would also let me sit down with him and ask him questions and tell him about the story I was putting together. And he would help me generate some ideas, which was so helpful, especially when I was stuck in a rut. I just got to say thank you to Eric for, for helping me make that happen. I also have to point out that if I had kids, I don't know how I would have made it happen. And a special shout out to anybody who is creative and anyone who pushes their creative limits while also caring for other human beings, you are a superhero. One funny thing that I did in the beginning of this whole journey was I made this schedule and I plotted out every hour of the day. I calculated the word count as I I think you heard me do even just in that little clip. Um, So I scheduled 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m., just everything and how I was going to juggle the things I needed to do. And in the end, do you know how many times I stuck to that schedule over the month? A big fat zero. And do you know how many times I met my word count that I would set for myself every day? Maybe 20% of the time, maybe a little bit more than that. And what I learned from that, from failing over and over and over again, was that success is made of a thousand failures. And I could have easily let any of those days where I didn't check all the boxes off and I didn't hit my word limit discourage me to the point of quitting. Any one of those days, because it was practically all of them. But what I learned was if you just keep on going, if you just readjust, re-strategize, and keep moving forward you will make it even though every single day terrifies you because the losses of that day just (laughs) equates into more work for the next day. Keep going and keep believing in yourself and you just build this momentum that becomes unstoppable. I just saw a quote the other day that was attributed to Winston Churchill and it goes, success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. You might have heard that one before. I think I had too. But when I saw it, I was just like, yes, yes, yes. I could not agree more. That was exactly the experience I had doing this challenge. If there's anything that you are wanting to do that scares the hell out of you, as long as you stick with your goal and you maintain that enthusiasm, I believe in you. You can do it. After I completed the competition, you know I printed out the manuscript. I had to do that um, to just enjoy that, you know, fuck yeah moment. And after that, I started wondering, you know, what's the next best step for me in this project as I wait to hear the results of the contest? I still want to move forward and improve the first draft. So I happened upon an IG Live with Idrusha Apana and uh, Leif Lillahagen with Curiosity Entertainment. They had on as a guest Kevin Fox, who's a television writer, and they were talking about developing mythology, also known as world building. And I got their advice. So here's a clip from that conversation. I just finished writing a um, young adult novel, and it's a part of a trilogy, and I I wrote that I ultimately will hope um, to adapt for the screen in a limited series. So um, I wrote kind of the middle of the story, and then we need to go back to the beginning and then jump to the future. This piece is kind of like a limited view of the world. Like, it's more of a realistic adventure in terms of genre, but when I branch out to the other parts of the story, it's going to get a lot more fantastical. And I'm wondering if there are any like pitfalls in terms of throwing your audience for a loop when it feels like you're going into a different genre. I mean, maybe that could be cool and interesting and exciting, but also be like, what the hell is this? So I'm just wondering how you might deal with that. 
There's two ways I can answer it. One is um, executives and who you're selling it to. If you're selling a a project that's based in a world with certain rules and works certain ways, and it's a huge success, um, whoever advertised and spent all the money to make it and everything else is going to be very, very reluctant to suddenly expand it to something else and do something else. You also will have built an audience that hopefully loves what you did. And anytime you try to change what you did, um, you're going to lose some people, you're going to gain some people. The world building that Adrusha is talking about and having it all there in advance enables you to put in Easter eggs. Like you see something, some power, some ability, something that you don't expect in that initial thing that maybe you'll see later. So you're opening the door to all the stuff that you wanna do later. And if you have stuff earlier that you wanna go back to, you can tell it as, oh, there's this story of this, and you give a little bit of backdrop that makes people wanna see what happened earlier. And you establish through that rules that applied maybe in the past, but we haven't seen it in a long time, which enables you to revisit it in the future or in the present and definitely see it in the past. But without that world building, you're not gonna know. And yeah. I have worked on series where we make it up on the fly and we realize, oh, we did this in the first episode this season so we can revisit it in the 22nd because we're desperate for material and we happen to put something there. Um, but you're getting lucky there. Uh, it's not, if, if, you, if you know where you're going from the beginning and you know the rules and you know what you want to do, um, you can create a very layered and rich and deep texture to whatever you're doing in the middle, even if you don't show everything from the end or the beginning. Um, but you get into dangerous territory of having to paint yourself in a corner and then figure out how to get out if you don't do it in advance. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I really feel like, go, go ahead, Lee. No, I, I think it's as simple, in, 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 even to simplify what Kevin said, it's just as simple about setup and payoff. You can't pay something off if you haven't set it up. So it's literally just give yourself that runway to do those things. But I mean, look, beginnings are easy and endings are easy and middles are hard. So if you already have your middle, good, good on you. You're, 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 you're there. So just, you know, start building backwards about. And, and, and one of the things I always talk about mythology and why you build up mythology isn't just isn't just so that you have all kinds of cool things to, you know, all kinds of arrows in your quiver to to pull out it's also a way to paint the overall idea of what your story is about what is your um you know what is the the um you know the you know the the overall you know message that you're trying to convey and that's something to keep in mind too with your mythology you can you can paint such an interesting tapestry or weave such an interesting tapestry i guess i'm mixing metaphors here but um with, with the idea that you have, um, you know, all of these things in your background to talk about these things, to talk about whatever you are. Sci-fi to me and a lot of this genre is just sort of a way to talk about things without talking about things, right? We can talk about race, we can talk about religion, we can talk about things that are sort of hot button issues. This was, these were the, you know, stories, you know, in the 50s and 60s, Westerns were that thing where we could sort of talk about what we can't talk about in society, right? And so now I feel like that's where the sci-fi and and, in this genre kind of stuff allows us to do this thing. So um, that's kind of what I think, um, you know, uh, building up that mythology does for you. After I heard that, I knew what I needed to do. What I wrote is actually the middle of the three-part story. I really do have a lot of work to do in terms of how those other 
parts of the story um, bookend the adventure that I just wrote, how they contribute to it, and those setups and payoffs that they were talking about, that's going to be key to making it an enjoyable read that you can't put down. Kind of like a thriller or a mystery, something that just is a page turner. That's my goal. So I've got a lot of work to do, but that's going to be my first step in terms of that project. But I've got to tell you what's going on with Mother of the Ride. I kind of put that on the back burner after the Lit Up competition happened because I saw the great opportunity there and I just had to grab it. So we've got to do a little bit of catching up on the screenplay, the road trip comedy that started this whole whole adventure. I recently got more feedback. A script consultant who I um, worked with in the beginning of my rewrite phase read the rewritten version um, after I went through several rounds of rewrites, sent it back to her. And I'm going to pop in a little bit of audio on what she said, just to some snippets. What I really am going to do for an episode coming up is dive into exactly what she told me the first time, how I implemented those changes, other changes I implemented, and kind of like all of the feedback that I've received, how I've um, made that actionable between the time I completed the first full draft and what I've got now. So here's just a little snippet of what she said after she read the revised version. However you did your timing, you tightened shit up, pardon my French, you know what I mean? Uh And so, and again, like, so the plot line is familiar because I've had the, you know, the privilege of reading different drafts. So, um, I was reading this time for the comedy and, you know, where you, kept consistency in terms of a concept that was not dropped like Joan to me um the reveal is good and strong you know what I mean and then then it pays off in a comedic way by then well I like that because you're taking like kind of like a heavy thing and then you're paying it off with comedy almost immediately Mm -hmm. right so I think that's awesome and um and she continues to have her lingo and uptightness. You know what I mean? I just love the way you um, pay stuff off. You know what I mean? I feel like you've got the people in place and the previous draft that I read, I felt like it was kind of taking a little long to get to the phone call where Linda calls and, and you know, Chrissy pretends to be Kitty, mm-hmm. right? Um, that, this time I'm like, mm, I don't know, I'd have to really go back and see if there's a way to plug that in a little bit sooner, uh-huh. maybe, because I just don't want your reader slash your audience to lose track of that gag. I don't have a lot more to suggest right now, because I think you've, you've really done quite a lot with what, what you've wanted to do and set out to do, and this feels now like a movie that I would see, you know what I mean? Like, it feels like I could see this being made, and I could see this succeeding, so... You know, thank you so much. I, I don't know what more to say to you right now. I think you've got a lot there. And I, you know, again, like honestly, like if you tighten it up and you want to send it to me again, I'd be happy to look at it because now I just want to see what you do with it. It was really great to hear Melanie being very complimentary about the progress I had made. I promise later I will share a lot more specific details about what she told me and how I made all of that actionable. But for now, I just wanted you to hear a word from her, introduce her as someone you'll hear from later. And then I also want to dial back to that first draft that Melanie uh, referred to as having been kind of a little meandering in places where I needed to tighten it up. 
When I finished that first draft, it was right around my birthday at the end of March, and I ended up uh, hosting a table read with my family on my birthday. And I want to share with you a little snippet of that. It was all just supposed to be fun, and it was. Um, It was the first time that I was hearing anybody voice these characters, which was amazing. But it actually ended up being helpful, and I realized some really important changes that I need to make, which I'll tell you about on the other end of the clip. To set this up a little bit, we're entering the middle of the script. We have a German character with some other dudes who are misfits in the back of a gas station convenience store. And then we've got Linda and Joan who are on their road trip and they've just had their first blow up conversation. Joan is upset and she just stomped off into the convenience store. At the beginning of this clip, the little part that you're going to hear before the scene starts, we were talking about the kids. My sister has a three-year-old and oh my gosh at the time he was only probably four months old and they were both there also for the table read the baby had just thrown up we were trying to clean that up and start the next scene so here you go here wrap it around the leg too of the chair he farted the biggest fart when i was over there the other day it's like a sumo wrestler yeah it was like a soupy soupy fart oh boy yes the baby and And action you want this clink? Take it. He hands Robbie a can of beer from the fridge. Just, just take it? You just take it. Listen, there are no rules. These are the basics. There are no rules. <laughs> Robbie looks around to see if anyone's looking. Hey, that is called shame. You're going to have to get over that. It is useless. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Robbie can't help but look nervous. Werner grabs Robbie's cheeks in one of his burly hands. Stop feeling bad. And stop apologizing. He unhands Robbie's face. Drink it. It's in order. He cracks the drink open just as the entrance bell rings and Joan enters. Hello? An out-of-sight store clerk 20s rustles through some boxes of inventory in a nearby storeroom. He shouts to Joan through the open door. I'll be right there, man. Just uh, grabbing a few things. You got any ibuprofen? <laughs> Extra strength? Uh, should be over there on the side. Whoop. By the condoms. <laughs> Joan rolls her eyes as she heads in the Looking up at the display of medical items, ibuprofen is nowhere to be found. The row where it should be is empty. She stomps back over to, to the register where the clerk is restocking the beef jerky display. It's not there. Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. We're out. Out? You told me you had ibuprofen. You said it was over there by the condoms, didn't you? I'm sorry. I didn't know the shelf was empty. Check the back. Exterior gas station continuous. Linda sighs as she puts the pump back in the cradle and closes the gas tank. She glances up at the convenience store and catches Joan gesturing wildly at the clerk. Shit. I just set off a monster. She scrambles over to the store. Interior gas station. Joan pounds her fist on the checkout counter as the bell announces Linda's entrance. Bam! Beef jerky and tic decks tumble off the counter display. Listen to me. I expect accurate data. No, you don't have to have a sale. I love how my nephew threw in some kitty improv gibberish there at the end. It was really a lot of fun to read through the script. Now, after the table read, I realized a few things about the opening of the script. One, that it was maybe a little longer than it needed to be. And two, that it wasn't as funny as it needed to be. It was definitely funny, but it wasn't like laugh out loud tone setting funny. And that's what the first couple of minutes really needs to be. It needs to culminate into a really funny joke that sets the tone for the rest of the movie so that you know that you have come to a comedy movie. 
you have arrived. We started going back and thinking, okay, how can we amp this up? How can we make the Linda character? How can we give her a scene that just is more indicative of exactly who she is or give you hints about who she is or maybe be mysterious enough to hint at what is to come or maybe lead you down one direction and then turn it around, you know, and kick you in the other direction later. And so that's what we did. We ended up coming up with with a new scene at the beginning and an entirely different punchline at the end, which is hilarious and I love it and it's just so much um it's just so much punchier it just is going to make you laugh and also it's setting up something that will pay off later toward the end of the movie which is also great going back to setups and payoffs an entire script is all just setup payoff setup payoff so the payoff could be in the next page it could be in the next line it could be you know 20 scenes later but your script should always be setting up and paying off in some way, shape, or form, and especially in a comedy setup and payoff is just the rhythm of comedy. So you have to make sure that things are very purposeful, that they integrate well, and now we have just a much tighter opening. So that was kind of my first stab at rewriting some stuff. I've done many rewrites since then. I did a whole pass on dialogue, making sure that every character had a unique voice, really, really worked on Jones voice and making sure that the way she spoke indicated something about who she was. And it does that so much better now than it did before. And I'm still doing passes, but I'm trying to wrap up all of that writing and I need to send the script out very soon. Um, But I do want to make sure that I try to get it in the best possible shape I can before I do that. With the understanding that whoever ends up wanting to invest in the project, become partners on the project, is going to want to develop it further. The actors will have Uh, feedback and there'll be collaboration that way. Um, So it's a never ending process of evolution, of course, but you want to get it to a point where it shows really well, where it is recommended, where it gets people excited. One of the things I've realized in the course of my career is that a good idea can come from anywhere. As a director, I think this is extremely important to not only understand intellectually, but you really have to believe it in your heart. And I think a writer, director in particular, can become susceptible to holding on to their work too tightly, especially when it is inspired by their own real life. And it's also okay as a writer, director to have a point of view and to say no to some changes because it is not in the spirit of what you want to create. But that is different than being open to anybody serving up a good idea that can improve your work. Now, when you get feedback, figuring out the difference between feedback that is going to encroach on your perspective and what you bring to the table as the unique writer director you are, and feedback that is going to challenge enrich and um, improve your work is difficult. Knowing the difference between those is not black and white all the time. Sometimes it can be, but then you also have to question whether or not that's just your ego getting in the way. So even when you think it's really clear, I think if you're smart, you'll realize that the clarity you think you see is just a product of the ego at play. So in essence, you should really seriously consider everything that's come to you, and perhaps maybe especially if you think it doesn't have any merit. Now, whatever conclusion you ultimately come to on whether you're not going to take the direction or whether or not it evolves into something different is a process. Um, But it starts with just being open. Whenever I open a document that's going to have feedback, take a deep breath. 
I'm really excited, actually, every time I get this because, you know, the student in me just wants to be told that I've done a good job. You know, tell me you like it. But also just to know that when the feedback comes for an idea that I should openly consider all of them and then develop a process for figuring out what to really listen to and what to pass on. Again, I promise I will share with you very specific examples of how I tweak things. I'll even screenshot some of the dialogue and you can see me tweaking that. And I'll definitely get into specifics. I hate it when people are just generalists. It doesn't really help anybody unless you can give them very specific examples. Talking in the abstract can get really annoying. I might be doing that a little bit here, but trust me, I will take you there eventually. I just need to get that material ready. I need to sift through, pick out some golden nuggets so that we can really dig in and you can see exactly what I'm talking about. All right, I think that's about it for this episode. This is the longest episode that I've done so far, so I hope you found it interesting. I really don't want to do these episodes ever longer than really half an hour. It really bothers me when podcasts are two hours long, even if they're over an hour. I just can't. I'm like, guys, really? Eh." It's too long, and I don't want you to ever get that feeling when you're listening to this. So I try to keep them short and sweet. If you've got questions, let me know. If you have comments, leave them on Instagram. This will be so much better when you start telling me what you want to hear about. What are you curious about? Next up, I think what I'll talk about are screenplay competitions. What it's like to enter. Are they worth it? What happened when I entered Mother of the Ride? Would I do it again? That's all for now. Stay safe. Have fun. I hope you're having a great summer. (laughs) 